Here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about being resurrection people. We'll start with our cornerstone verse that we've been reading every week for several weeks now, talking about who we are as God's resurrection people. But today I want to talk about a community that comes to the table. There is something insightful that we get to see when we read the resurrection stories where Jesus revealed himself at a table. Not just one table, but two different places having a meal. And if you look at it, you will see there's something that Jesus is trying to teach us as we look at resurrection meals. Okay, so let's read our cornerstone scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I'll just read it to you, and then you can, on your way to Luke 24, turn there real quickly, Luke 24. It says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and see seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. The significance of this verse is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. The same power that was exerted when Christ came out of the grave is alive in you and me. And what the apostle Paul is praying here is that you would get that that you would get it, that we would get it. And that we wouldn't just get it in church. We wouldn't just get it when we go to small group. We wouldn't just get it when we're in a position where we kind of need to do our God thing. That there's something more that he is asking of us and something more that he's offering us. And when we are resurrection people, We have meals differently, we fellowship differently, we connect differently with people, and there's something that we can learn from these resurrection stories. Um, Turn over to Luke chapter 24. What What you find here is that Jesus uses the common meal to reveal himself. Jesus could have done it any other way that he wanted to. He could have revealed himself at any moment on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but he didn't. Why didn't he? I think there's something that we can learn from this. Let's read it together. Let's start. We'll pick up the story. Jesus has already been on the walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so we'll pick up the story at verse 28. As they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, which I love about Jesus. He tries to kind of kind of uh, trick them into seeing what they'll, they'll do. He's, he offers a decision. He, he, he moves forward like, okay, guys, been great talking to you. See you later. And then they're like, no, we want you to stay with us. This discussion is so good. And so Jesus stays with them. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, He took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. I want you to underline those four things right there. He took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Notice what happens in verse 31. Then their eyes were opened. All of a sudden they were like, oh, I've seen this before. Something is happening here. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus disappears. It's so wonderful. Then they are so excited. They're so amazed. And they run off to Jerusalem and tell all their friends. We pick up the story a little bit later in verse 37. They're in the room. Uh, verse 36, let's start there, with the disciples. He says, while they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Peace. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, notice this question. You should underline it. Do you have anything to eat? Because I'm interested in food. I'm interested in sharing some food with you. Do you have anything? And so you can imagine the scene. He's there. They're touching him. You know, they're touching his arms. They're looking at his side. They're inspecting him. And he says, can I have something to eat? And then he starts munching on some fish or some bread or whatever it was. And you can see them begin to sit around. And they might have passed it out a little bit. And he's there. And he's telling the story between bread bites. And so what I did was I had to suffer. And then before I was going to return to glory. And so what happened, now it probably wasn't that ill-mannered. I'm sure Jesus had better manners than that. But you could see him telling the story around a table, around sharing a meal. The common meal is probably the primary way by which we take care of, really, in any society, if you go across the world, any culture, it's the way we take care of our physical needs when we share a meal with one another. It's the way we take care of our social needs. We uh, engage in conversation. We engage in intimate dialogue at the table about uh, all kinds of things. Um, there's a cultural thing that happens when we sit at a table. We, we convey cultural values. I'm teaching my kids right now how to be nice at the table, how not to talk about inappropriate things at the table. <laughs> you, you can teaching people how not to put their elbows on the table, how to sit up, how to speak properly when they're asked a question. All these are values that are conveyed around a table. And it doesn't matter what culture you go to, there's something about that with families and with friends. If you consider the scriptures, you consider... What is what Jesus did to create a culture as he was leading the disciples? Leading the disciples over the three years that they were doing ministry together. I want you to consider for a moment the most famous supper that Jesus had with his disciples. What was it called? What was it? The Last Supper. It was the Last Supper, but why is it called the Last Supper? It's because there was a whole bunch of other ones. <laughs> And this was a routine with Jesus that he shared around a meal with others. There's something powerful about it. The Lord's Supper, what did he do? The same thing he does here after the Emmaus Road experience. He breaks bread. He takes it. He breaks it. 
Sorry, he blesses it, then he breaks it, and then he gives it away. He does this in meals all over the place. I want you to see how pervasive it is throughout the scriptures. Jesus fed the four and five thousand. Do you remember these stories? The miracle of the bread and the fish and how they only had a few uh, loaves and a couple of fish. And then Jesus multiplies it miraculously for all of these people to eat. Um, we'll get to that story in just a few minutes. I want you to think about Jesus being accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors, you understand, were really bad people. They, they were stealing from people. They, all, they, they, they were always um, crooked, and so they got this reputation. But Jesus was eating with them all the time, and then got criticized for it by the religious people. They wanted it to be an insult. He took it as a compliment. He's eating with people, sharing meals with people. There's something that goes on when we share these meals. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, there's a song about it, a Sunday school song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Is that it? <laughs> he climbed up into the sycamore tree. <laughs> For what? For the Lord he would see. Yeah. That's all I know of that song. Okay, so moving on. He's up in a tree and he's trying to see Jesus as he's coming by. And Jesus stops by and what does he say to him? Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Seems a little rude to me. But Jesus liked to eat. And what happens at the meal? If you read through the story, what happens in the meal with Zacchaeus, the tax collector? They share a meal together. They break bread. And what happens Zacchaeus declares at the end of the meal, I will pay back anyone who I have taken or stolen from and I'll pay them more. Something happens in his heart. A transformation happens in Zacchaeus when he has a meal with Jesus. It happens all over the place. Jesus was anointed by a sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 around a meal. Jesus challenged his disciples and followers to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It was a very hard teaching. Near the end, there was a, there was a process by which his followers were understanding what he was saying and what he was doing. And he was saying, you've got to consume the way I am, the things that I do, what the Father is doing through me. You need to embrace, you need to ingest it, you need, it needs to consume you. They didn't understand it at the time. Jesus reveals himself, of course, on this Emmaus journey, but he reveals himself around the table and in this common sharing of a meal. He reveals himself to his disciples at breakfast on a beach. Turn over there to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. John 21, we'll begin at verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel uh, from Cana in Galilee, the two Zebedee boys, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now that sounds a little familiar. 
I think that's happened before. A little insight on this little passage. I think it's important to realize what was going on in the lives of Peter and these other disciples. They went back to what they knew. They went back to what they had already done. They couldn't quite figure out what was coming, what was happening. They'd already seen Jesus. They were already awakened to the idea of resurrection life. But they didn't yet understand how to live as resurrection people. I think that's the same with you and me. It is a process. It is a journey that we share. It's not just one meal. It's multiple meals. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a journey that we take together. This is the journey that these disciples are on. They, they kind of go back to what they're comfortable with, what they know, but then they don't catch anything. Not very good fishermen. So verse four says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He was quite a ways away. We'll see here in a moment. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Jesus, interested in food again. I know, see, you don't see these things unless you read it. Haven't you any fish? Of course. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Jesus always knows where the fish are. So they, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. And I think this is a really funny thing. Peter's fishing, he's working, he's doing all this stuff. So he sees the Lord on the beach. He realizes it's him. So what does he do? He puts his clothes on and jumps in the water. That's really weird. What he was doing was, it was the master. What he was doing was it was a sign of honor, a sign of respect. So he... So he puts his outer clothing on and then jumps in the water and they haul the fish toward the, toward the beach. Here it is. The other disciples followed in the boat, f towing the net of, full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a ways. hundred yards, not far from shore if you're looking at a big lake. But they're a hundred yards out. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. We'll cook it up. Jesus interested him in a meal, a breakfast, after a night of hard work. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Ah, they learned a lesson, because in the last story, in the other story, where Jesus knew where the fish was, all the nets broke. They'd mended them well. Here it is, he says, they were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came to, to, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. He's going to teach them now in the next section of scripture. We, we won't take time to read it, but he has a dialogue with Peter. He encourages Peter in the next dialogue over fish and bread. Breakfast on a beach. A meal after a long journey. There's something that we can learn about these resurrection 
experiences. Because as I said earlier, Jesus could have revealed himself to each of these disciples any way he wanted to. He chose the meals. He chose to wait until they were eating. He chose as the last supper, a supper. It could have been the last donkey ride. Wouldn't that have been a bummer on Palm Sunday? <laughs> How would we have celebrated that? He chose a meal. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, but you guys didn't, I guess. He asked for food. He, he, he waits until they've had food and then he disappears. He, he, uh, he, uh, he cooks breakfast for his disciples. So there's lessons that we can learn from these resurrection meals, these resurrection stories. They teach us about how Jesus was forming his disciples. They teach us about spiritual formation that all of us are in process they teach us about formation, being formed by the resurrection power that lives within us. We can't quite, all of us can't quite figure it out all the time. We understand resurrection life, but we're not sure how it exists and lives within us. There's a secret here and reasons why Jesus reveals himself and this resurrection life around these meals. So the first idea I think that is really important to identify in meals is we're formed in the routines. You and I are formed spiritually in the routines of life. It is not in Sunday service where you're formed. It is not at your connect group or even at a good prayer meeting where you're actually spiritually formed. It is really not until you honor Jesus in your hobbies and your work and the private moments of your family and your own personal life that you can actually be formed. That's where the formation happens. The routines, the consistency. I want you to think about the common meal. The common meal that we share three times a day. There is nothing so needful or as pleasurable at the same time. There's something so wonderful about, about the, the, the sharing of these meals where we experience taste, wonderful, beautiful barbecue sauce. <laughs> Rudy's right around the corner here. I, I don't know what it is about Rudy's. I love Rudy's barbecue. Something's so good. I discovered a brand new restaurant actually uh, a few, couple weeks ago called Jack Allen's. Oh yeah. It's good, good. Okay, you realize that Jesus didn't have, God didn't have to create us with taste buds, but he did. There's something about his nature there, but there is something that's needful. We have to fill ourselves with food. Every meal in the routines, there's something about the commonness of humanity. We all need it. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are. You must eat to survive. It brings us down to a common level. There's something amazing about that. Eating a meal obscures self-importance. Eating a meal with somebody, opening your mouth and putting food inside of it and then closing it and crunching. <laughs> 
It's hard to be self-important there. And you all know how awkward it is when you're at a meal where there's seven pieces of silverware to each side of your plate, and you're not sure exactly what to do and when to do it, and the nervousness that goes on. There's a shield in front of everybody's face, and they all look very pretty and very nice, but there's no sharing. There's a commonness to these meals. The routines of our lives are where God begins to form us. Go to Deuteronomy chapter six. This was a centerpiece for Jewish life, this passage. You'll be familiar with it. Deuteronomy six verse four says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If you, if you underline those four times he tells you, there's really not much of life left. <laughs> He's saying, you've got to talk about these things. You've got to share about them. You've got to walk with each other. You've got to lay down together. You've got to, to share over a meal. These are the things. The routines of life is where we are formed. In the hiddenness and the routine. Some people don't necessarily like the routine. They, 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 they want to ditch the routine and they want everything to be spontaneous. Um, families have a hard time functioning that way a lot of times. But I think as we're thinking about being formed as resurrection people, what we look at is people who want to throw off all or forsake all the traditions, stale remnants of the past as they see them, exchanging meaningful spiritual disciplines for something spontaneous and flashy. Can I just tell you something? That spontaneity does not equal spirituality. Doing something in the moment is not exceedingly spiritual. Being willing to build routines and spiritual disciplines into your life where the life of God is breathed into you, whether that's reading your Bible every day, taking time. You know, we have a one-year Bible program on our website. You can go there every day and you can click two buttons and be, see the whole thing and read through the entire, all the passages. There's only four each day. That discipline is a routine where God is forming you. Meals, just like meals, just like the consistency and the ordinariness of meals every day. Resurrection life is revealed in the midst of our daily routine, not in a classroom or abstract uh, religion, abstract theology. It's not here where I'm teaching you, it's in the process of living your life. It's in the hidden place of working with your family and working with your coworkers. Jesus is forming us as we do it. When we come here and we worship Jesus, it's so good, it's so wonderful. We do new songs, we do old songs, we'll say a creed because we wanna be rooted in history rooted the way Christians have been worshiping for centuries, but open to the mystery of the Holy Spirit. There's spontaneity for sure. Spontaneity will come. This morning in our worship time, I was looking around for Marty. I was waiting for him to come to the podium and he was over there talking with somebody. That was really spontaneous. <laughs> I almost took his spot and made all the announcements. 
But there, so there is spontaneity. I'm not saying we have to be rigid and, and routine, but what God does inside of us, Jesus has these meals with people, and in the si inside of this routine is where he reveals himself. Secondly, we're formed in the tangible. We're formed in the tangible. If you look at Colossians, turn over there to Colossians chapter 2. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what it says. It says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. These are people that we like to call of such, uh, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. <laughs> he has lost connection with the head, not his own head. He's talking about Jesus. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We are formed in the tangible, not the overly spiritual abstract. Do you see that? It's good for us to learn theology. It's good for us to know what we believe and why we believe it. No doubt about that. I'm not undoing that. I'm just saying it's not theology that gets resurrection power to live inside of you. There is a sharing, there is an opening up. We are, trans, we are formed, we are transformed in the tangible. I want you to notice that these meals of Jesus that we've talked about were not staged for his spiritual instruction. He didn't pull out a whiteboard and begin to diagram their relationship with Christ. See, there's a chasm here between this here and we put the cross here and then walk across the cross and now you're with Jesus. It's a, he didn't do that. He didn't begin to diagram the four spiritual laws, as good as the four spiritual laws are, but the four spiritual laws cannot lead you to resurrection power. You have to know Jesus to lead you to resurrection power. Four spiritual laws can help, but it is knowing Jesus, it is experiencing him, and I think what we learn from these meals is Jesus is revealing himself during the meal. Now I want you to notice this formed in the tangible of the meal. There was a participation that's happening in this meal. Well, before I get to that, let's back up. Formed in the tangible. When you, when you have a meal and you have people over to your house and you make dinner, you're doing something that is sacrificing your own time, energy, and effort and then offering them something. And if you think about it, the actual meal is a sacrifice in and of itself. I did not say a burned sacrifice. <laughs> it is a sacrifice <laughs> because something gave up its life so that we could be nourished. The meal is a sacrifice in and of itself, but the act of preparing is also a sacrifice and it speaks to us of the act of laying down our lives. Some animal gave up its life so that you could be nourished. For those of you who are vegetarians, some sweet little plant gave up its life <laughs> so that you could be nourished. They all have, animals have offspring, plants have seeds, it all works great, that's how God designed it, but something gives up and dies so that you can be nourished. That speaks to us about the nature of being formed by the work of Christ in us, there is a sacrificial laying down of your life. 
that allows God to form you, shape you. I know it's a hassle to invite people over to your house for dinner. I know it's a, it's a pain sometimes to meet people on the way or to spend time with people getting to know them in awkward settings when they're new friends. But honestly, this is where it happens. That's where it happens and the sacrifice is worth it. The sacrifice is worth it, laying down your life for another. Thirdly, we're formed in the exchange that goes on in these meals. At neither meal did, did the resurrection power of Jesus Christ overwhelm them. They weren't sitting there and all of a sudden Jesus started glowing and then power came and they both passed out. <laughs> he didn't have to awaken them because he, they were blown away by his power. He had, he had lunch with them. He had dinner with them. He had breakfast and then he began to share. There was an exchange. There was an exchange of food, there was exchange of dialogue, there was a participation. Now get this, I want you to write this down if you think about it, I didn't write it on the screen, but there is a participation that yielded revelation. This is how it works with us. We participate with what Christ is doing in our lives. We participate with what God wants to do in our lives and what happens, that participation begins to yield revelation, it begins to reveal who God is in us, who he is, what he wants to do, what he wants to say to you, how he wants you to act. It is the participation in the body of believers that reveals resurrection power. It is not just the believing, it is not just the behaving. Jesus did not come to change us, just our behaviors. He came to change us from the inside out. Jesus didn't die for behavior modification. That means any, any one of us, any one of us can be on this journey together. Some of you might be a little ahead. Some of you are a little further behind. Some of you are in the middle. But we're all on this journey together. It is a journey of being formed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And it's revealed to you in the routine. It's revealed to you by tangible, practical things, acts of laying down your life. And it's formed in an exchange, in a sharing with one another. And this is why I believe we must embrace new people when they come to our church, no matter where they are in their journey. Some of them haven't even started their journey yet. And that's okay with me. I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. It's not, it's not we make you believe and then you behave and then you get to belong. That's not how it works. It's we, let, we want people to belong. You can be part of this. You can sit at this table. You can be part of this family. We want you to belong, believe, and then resurrection power will help you behave. We've got to be those kind of people. That's what resurrection life and power is all about. That's what happens sharing a meal. That's what happens when we share time together, encouraging one another, challenging one another to be the people God's called us to be. It's such a powerful idea, giving, receiving, sharing with one another. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we didn't get to it, but I'll just say it to you. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. 
which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. What this means is we come to each other, not with veils, not with masks, not hiding what's going on inside, but revealing it by being unveiled before one another, sharing with one another what transformation process is happening. When you come to a meal and you share with one another what's going on in your lives, Jesus is in the middle of that. Jesus is waiting to reveal himself as you share that. You can't close it down. You've got to open up. You've got to allow others in. And as we do that, something begins to happen. Transformation begins to take place. And it's a little bit at a time. If you consider, if you consider the feeding of the four and five thousand, I want you to turn over there and this will be our last scripture, Matthew chapter 14. Are you getting this? I'm challenging you to spend time with each other. I'm challenging you to walk with one another. I'm challenging you to be the kind of people that will, that will um, allow Jesus to be revealed because you've laid down your life, because you've exchanged something, because you're willing to live in the routines, not just live for Sunday, not just live for special events, not just live hoping that the Holy Spirit comes in a moment and tries to change you and transform you. There's no doubt the Holy Spirit comes and reveals something in a moment. There's no doubt about that. I'm not undoing that, but you are formed in the other, in the other time periods. That moment is for revelation, no doubt, but as you are formed, resurrection power comes into you as you live in the routines, as you share with one another, as you yield. Look at Matthew 14. Um, we'll kind of jump ahead here. Um, uh, let's, let's start in verse uh, 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. <laughs> Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I think this is so profound. Jesus is saying, I want you to act like me. I want you to give people something to eat. I want you to share with people who are in need. I want you to give something. And he's challenging his disciples. He says, verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. We essentially, they essentially turn to him and say, we don't have enough. We can't do this. You're the, you're the big Jesus, man. You're the guy that can do it. We can't do this. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan is for you to walk and live in resurrection power, to do the things that he did. Here's what he says. He says, bring them here to me. Bring this food. He, he, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Don't you wish you could have been there to see that? That is a trip. Multi food being multiplied, but I want you to see what Jesus did with the bread. The little that was brought to him, I want you to see the four verbs that we wrote down at the beginning of the talk that we underlined in the other passage. Do you see it? Here it is. Verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them, gave them 
to his disciples. Here's what Jesus did. He took, he blessed, he broke, and then he gave. He took what was given to him. He blessed it. He broke it open, and then he began to give it away. Now listen, this is what God is doing for you and me, with you and me. Now here's the problem. We want to be, want to give whatever we have to God, but make no mistake, he'll, he'll take it. He'll take whatever you give. Jesus takes what we bring him. Whatever you give him, he's going to take it. And then we want him to bless it. Here, Jesus, here, here I am. Take this and now bless me. Bless me. I need blessing. I need you to help me. I'm, I, I can't do it by myself. Bless me and make me successful. And then we want it to be done. And then go into the world and give that away to the world. Ah, oh, there's another step, unfortunately. Jesus not only blesses what we give him, because he does bless it. He breaks what we bring him. He breaks what we bring him. He breaks us. He causes us to understand our own brokenness as he did with Jacob when he wrestled with God. There's something about understanding, realizing your own brokenness, opening yourself up. Jesus took that bread and it was hard and crusty on the outside because it had been baked and he pushed through the harsh outer elements and he revealed what was in the center. Soft, beautiful bread. There's something that we can learn from that. Then Jesus does something amazing. He breaks us open, he fills us up with himself, and then he gives back what we gave to him, what we brought to him. He gives it all back and he says, okay, now, Go, give it to somebody else. Give it to everybody else. Give it to the one who's in need. If you look at all of the places where Jesus shared a meal, this is what he does. He does these things in this meal. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it. That's what he does to you and me. And we have to make our peace with that. We've got to embrace that. And I think the way many times that we get broken down is because we are coming face to face with each other, with another who is in great need. Have you ever met somebody really annoying? God really wanted you to help them? <laughs> you know what that's doing? It's not just serving them. It's breaking you. It's making sure that you're doing what you're doing for the right reason. Look, everybody's not perfect, including you. You may be that person who's annoying to somebody else. <laughs> this is the way the body of Christ works. But as we surrender to this yielding, as we surrender to the sharing, to the giving, to the participation, Jesus is revealed in the midst of it. And then we take what he does in us and we share it with the world.